Lord God in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us this last week. I thank you for being with our team that went down to Carnegie uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and preserving and protecting us. Thank you for good weather for two of those days, or at least better weather. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the relationships growing there. Thank you for um, the fellowship, the just the encouragement, the camaraderie, and, and being able to encourage faithfulness. Um, and what we were able to accomplish, Lord. Thank you that nobody got hurt. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for all of that. And thank you for this day. Now, as we jump into uh, Psalm 30, we pray that you would guide and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just real quick, uh, I think this is a hint. I'm not real good at hints, but I found that there's a, a Her Heritage Women's Ministry newsletter is on my computer, so that probably means they're out. And you can probably grab copies uh, on the credenza and in the, in the overflow room or the here at the life wall so yeah we went uh we left got there thursday it was freezing cold wind was blowing got colder and colder and um things didn't work the way we planned there in that regard and in that project and things went really well on other projects and just really good we had uh we had a few of the so the ladies at the church made us meals for Friday and Saturday, which is, you know, really what they can do, because they're, you know, they're 70, 70 something, and so being able to get out and do construction is not their thing, if you didn't know that. But making meals and and drawing us in and feeding us was really delightful, and then some of their, uh, a couple of their older kids came, Uh, Leland came on Thursday and Saturday and helped out, and then uh, one of the lady's sons, John, came. And John Hawk and, and John, and this John, uh, John Bailey, worked their, um, their posterior into smaller proportions on Saturday, um, doing the back part of the, the fellowship hall. It was just, it was a lot of work that needed to be done. You have to always limit what you do because you, you just can't fix everything, you know. So it just went really well. And the exciting thing is, so you got to, they're United Methodists. They're part of the Oklahoma Indian Mission Conference. And Hal and I sat down. We're sitting down with the pastor, and John did too. His name is Monroe. And I've been getting to know him for the last year. And he, one of the things he said, uh, a couple of things he said uh, Friday is, you know, they're, they're far more conservative than, than some people in their denomination. And they know, what, they know that that's not right. What's going on is not right. They're just too small. They just don't know what to do. So they're in a particular situation, and they were, you know, and we were just they're encouraging them, yeah, you're on the right road. You're doing the right thing. And it was just makes his day. And the other thing was, because they're so small and they're Native Americans and feel like, and very often feel like they're kind of the, the stepchildren put in the back room, you know, cut off from everybody. They just really appreciate it. In fact, he even said to us, it's nice to know that somebody cares about us. You know, and that's what our 10 years of going down there every year has been part of, is building that relationship and, and that fellowship. And so it's just been delightful. So that was our trip. Uh, well, I actually have pictures. I only put up a few pictures on Facebook, on our group on Facebook uh, on Saturday morning or Friday night, whatever it was. If we have a ton more, I'm going to try to put them all together. And maybe if we have time during the Easter brunch, maybe I can play the, put it all together and play it as a movie up here while everybody's eating and talking. You can see some of the things that happen so so keep them in your prayers and pastor monroe in your prayers they try to do the continue to do the right things and their situation so all right so we're going to do psalm 30 
so you have a copy passed out to you. You can pick it up in your Bible. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of uh, Habayit, uh, the temple, or maybe the house. We'll talk about that more in a minute. minute. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to Yahweh, O you his saints, and give thanks at his holy name, or to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Yahweh, you made my, found, my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Yahweh, I cry, and to the, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What a delightful psalm. Anything you saw in there that maybe connects it to a previous psalm uh, or makes you think of a coming psalm? Anything in there that stuck out to you maybe about a pattern or any of those things? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. That's in Psalm 28. We'll talk about that. Very good. Going down to the pit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the high, low, high. Keep that in mind because that, that's going to affect the title of our what I'm calling this particular song. What else? Anything, anything else you see? Okay, well, we've got the juices flowing here are starting to, to percolate, so here we go. Uh, so I'm calling it Life's Jig. Life's Jig, Psalm 30. I think that's a great way to put Psalm 30. Um so here's how it's breaking down, or breaking out. Uh, so drawn up, verses 1 through 3. Drawing strength, verses 4 through 5. Dismal place, verses 6 through 10. And then dancing praise, verses 11 and 12. Okay? So that's how I'm breaking this out, because that's the way it looks like it, it, the psalm goes. So just very quickly, before we dive too deeply into the psalm, so the, uh, the purpose of the psalm, notice at the very beginning, that inscription at the beginning, it says it's a song at the dedication of the temple. Okay? Now that Hebrew word temple, sabayit, uh, could be translated as house. So it could be that the psalm, and so some of your translations may actually say a dedication of, uh, a, a psalm at the set of dedication of the house. And this could be a dedication psalm when his house was built. You remember the story in First King, or Second Kings and in... Um, yeah, in 2 Kings, that is he, build, he builds his house in Jerusalem, okay, at some point. So it could be a house dedication psalm. It actually fits either direction. If it's a psalm for the dedication of the temple, 
How could that be a psalm for the dedication of the temple? The temple's not built till seven years after Solomon is in Solomon is enthroned and David is dead. Right. Yes. He he built he got together a ton of resources for the temple. He, and it was specifically for the temple. He got he got to get, he even set up the priesthood to get ready so the Levites to get ready for the temple so that they would then be have a whole new set of structures of things they were to do. So he was building lots of resources and material and uh, personnel, getting them ready for the temple to be built and dedicated. So having the psalm as a dedication of the temple would not be off the mark. It could actually be a psalm he put together so that when the temple was dedicated, it would be sung at the beginning. You know, it would be sung at the dedication service. Either way, it works. Because... If it's a house dedication or a temple dedication, either way, it's a significant moment in David's life that's causing him to reflect on life's jig, if you will. That, by jig, I mean that raucous dance that leaps up and then swings low and then jumps right back up again. So you were talking about high, low, high. So I'm calling that a jig, okay? I mean, you buy a house, right? If you, if you never, you know, so when we, our first house we bought was in Midland. So we've been married, uh, I don't remember, we've been married 20, 20 something years. I never, we've never owned a house before. We were in our 40s, right? Because we'd been in the military for 20 years. And then my first church had a manse, had a parsonage next to the church. And, and they thought, I think they thought that keeping the preacher poor was a virtue. And so we didn't have a lot of money. And so moving to Midland was our first time to buy a house. And it actually moved us into a, a time of, reflection on how God had actually provided for us through the years, through the decades. It, it was really a delightful moment of remembering. And so even a, building a house, you know, and then dedicating the house. So all of that, the point I'm trying to get across is that it was a significant moment that uh, brought David to uh, reflect on, his, on life's jig, his up and down and up and so forth. Um, there is a thematic rhythm in the psalm. And it's spotlighted in verses 1 through 3, then verse 5, then verse 11 and 12. Those three sections keep coming back to the same theme. So I'm calling it a thematic rhythm, okay? Verse 1 through 3, 5, and 11 and 12. Lastly, Psalm 30 is an example of God answering the prayer of chapter 29, 11. So notice how 29, 11 ends with, May Yahweh give strength to his people. May Yahweh bless his people with peace. And then you come right into Psalm 30. And here's the Lord doing exactly. He's remembering how the Lord did exactly those things. Okay, Even after the, all the dismal stuff. So it's a really a, an example of the answer to Psalm 29.11. So before we get into the psalm, any questions about any of these things up here? Anything about the psalm real quick? Okay, so drawn up, verses 1 through 3. Notice that all three verses, this is in honor of Nellie so that she didn't chew me out. All three verses are crocheted together, like yarn entwined, okay? So it's just, I mean, it's, it's, they just weave in together. So look again at verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. 
O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Those three verses really are, are put together very well. I mean, they, they belong definitely together and they go into each other. So notice the, the up, the drawing up language. So verse 1, you've drawn me up. Verse 3, you brought up. And then again in verse 3, you restored to life. Okay? Just kind of this upward movement in verses 1 through 3. Then also notice uh, the downside, or the, the other side, that it's kind of the, the contrast to. In verse 1, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. Notice my foes. There's foes. But then also notice at the end of verse 3, uh, you have restored my life from those who go down to the pit. There's some connection between verse my foes and then being restored from those who go down to the pit, okay? Um, it actually comes up in a previous psalm. Oh, well, let me come back to that in a minute. That goes back to a previous psalm. If you think back to um, uh, chapter 28, when David was talking about um, verse 1 and then verse 3, chapter 28, Psalm 28, uh, to you, O Yahweh, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if, you, lest, you, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. You see that at the end of verse 128? Verse 1 is what Steve was referring to. Right? Lest I go be like those who go down to the pit. Then verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked. So you hear the connection? Don't let me be like the wicked. Make that distinction. Okay? And so here's David's answer to Psalm even to what he prayed for in Psalm 28, here in Psalm 30. You actually made a distinction. You didn't let my foes rejoice over me. You didn't let, you restore my life from those who go down to the pit. Okay, do you see the, how that all flows together? Okay. And I think verse 2 is the crown jewel. It's like the, the centerpiece of verses 1 through 3. Because somehow this had to do with his uh, some, he's remembering some ailment or some life-threatening situation. He says, oh, Yahweh, my God, I cry to you for help. And you have healed me. You've healed me. And so in the midst of that is, you didn't let my foes rejoice over me. And you brought me up and restored me, my, me to life. So I didn't go along with those who go down to the pit. Okay, so verse 2 is kind of the centerpiece there. So how would, uh, think about the end of verse 1 for just a minute. N understanding what happens in verse 2 and verse 3, how would uh, you have not let my foes rejoice over me? How would the foes, what would that mean? The foes rejoicing over him, and yet he's talking about his life being restored and those things. What, if, what, would, it, what would be the connection? I don't know how else to ask, ask that question. Let me see if I can think of another way to ask the question. Yeah. Could be. Yep. Troubled, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
That could be. Yeah, yeah. And that would fit in with Psalm 28 when he says make a distinction, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the so if he was seriously ill, then the his opponents would have been rejoicing that, right? For various reasons, hoping he would croak to use Bob's term. <laughs> That's good. Hoping he would croak or or it could be think about how human verses 1 through 3 is. When your opponent gets sick, sometimes sometimes we're tempted to say they deserved it. Right? That's proof that they're wicked, that they're wrong, or whatever you want to say. That's proof, okay? And so, yes, I'm so glad that he got sick. I mean, so that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of sense, is that his ailment, whatever, the, the, whatever his trouble was, would somehow fuel his foes rejoicing over him, okay? And so he says, thank you that that didn't happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, great sickness must mean great sin. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and there's even. Uh, uh, We'll run across it at some point in the Psalms, but uh, or even in Proverbs, don't rejoice over your opponent's, you know, ailments or their their um, their um, fall, right? Because it might turn around on you, right? So yeah, yeah, gloating, gloating over that kind of thing, right? Good, great. All right, so uh, so we've already actually started working on some of this. So how does verse two inform the end of verse one? This is where I was trying to get at. Should have just waited until my, my uh, slide went on further, right? So we already talked about it, really. So uh, verse one informed, uh, verse 2 informs the end of verse 1. The foes rejoicing over me has something to do with me not being well, him not being well, and now he's been healed. Now his foes will not, be able to rejoice, will not rejoice over him, okay? So there you go. That's what I was trying to get at. So how does verse, uh, how does verse 2 then update uh, what you're seeing when you get to verse 3? You have healed me. I cried to you for help and you healed me. How does that inform or update uh, what you read in verse 3 then? One thing is that this is not hyperbole. You brought up my soul from Sheol. Right? His sickness was, could have been, you know, was, apparently was life-threatening in some way. He was concerned about dying, right? Uh, it also informs the last part too in the sense of... Um, uh, you've restored me to life from those who go down to the pit. Okay, so it does, there's some, and we have to, I think we have to remember, you know, that sickness is, is life-threatening for most of our ancestors, right? You get a, you get a little, you get a little flu. Most time now you run over to see Caitlin and she goes, you give you to the doctor and you get some Tammy flu and you walk away, you're okay. Your great-grandparents, it may not have been the end. Pneumonia is possibly coming. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we, we're really blessed. I want you to know that. Somebody asked me one day, they said, well, when do you think you would have liked to really have lived because now it's all just dark and gloom? I said, I'm glad to be alive now. 
thank God for the medical advancements now. I mean, I mean, realize there's still problems, but still it's like we're far better off, right? So many reasons to give thanks for, being, for God having, having us been born now. He didn't ask us. He just said, you're going to be born now, right? Okay, Lord, thank you. It's a reception. It's a gift. So give thanks for that gift. Anyway, great. Anything else in verses 1 through 3 before? Let's see if I got one more. I got one more here. So we already talked about uh, how verse 3, going down the pit and, and Sheol, comes up in Psalm 28, verses 1 through 3. So you, you start, you see these connections. I just want you to continue to see how these connect. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily always be physical, right? Yeah, as, if we're using the psalm, it doesn't have to be that I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem with, uh, you know, gangrene in my leg or something like that. It could be actually that, you know, I'm feeling my, you know, realizing my own sin. And so it would be a, it would be a very fitting psalm for, for a penitential or repentant psalm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Lord, you restored me to life out of my sin so my foes don't rejoice over me. I mean, it would be very fitting. You can use it very much so, yeah. Great. All right, we're in Psalm 30, by the way. Anybody came in late? We're in Psalm 30. Should be handouts around somewhere for you to see the psalm. And so now, verses 4 through 5, drawing strength. Um, notice that David is going to interpret... Um, verses 1 through 3 is experience of 1 through 3 with these verses so here's his if you want to call it interpretation sing praises to Yahweh O you his saints so now he's invoking others to come and worship with him and give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment and his favors for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning so he's, in a sense he's interpreting uh, and asking others to join in how he's seen this what happened in verses 1 through 3? God's anger endures for a moment, but his favor endures for a lifetime. You know, and this is what he's bringing out there. So. so notice God's actions of bringing him up, uh, verses 1 through 3, not only supplies him strength, but should fortify others. That's what he's doing in verse 4. Um, that's why he calls and beckons others to worship with him, sing praises. So he's telling a story, as it were, and this should ev ev uh, evoke worship and strength from other believers as well, okay? So that language, sing praises to Yahweh, O you his saints, and give thanks at his holy name. Look at the end of uh, Psalm 31, which is where we're going to go next week. Just the last two verses, he's going to do something similar, by the way, um, in Psalm 31, and then it's going to end with the last two verses there. And he says, goodness gracious. He says, love the Lord, all you his saints. There's the connection between verse 4 and chapter 30, Psalm 31. Oh, love, love Yahweh, oh, you, all you his saints. Yahweh preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. Notice what he's doing as he'll recite it there and draw them in to worship God, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. 
all you who wait for the Lord. The reason why I'm bringing that up is that Psalm 30 is not, you know, is meant to do just that. It's, it's just look and focus upon God's action and see that He not only supplies me strength, but this should fortify you, right? And so you come in and worship, but it should fortify you. There you go. Not real profound. So how does David decipher his verses 1 through 3 experience down in verse 5? How does he decipher what happened in verses 1 through 3 when you get to verse 5? Yeah. What a great statement. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a very, I mean, it's very, I think it's very comforting. It can be misused. Verse 5 can be misused, and sometimes is. But it's very comforting. Oh yeah, that's right. It's our perspective has to change. That's our problem most of the time is that we feel like weeping endures a lifetime and God's favor is only for the night or for a moment, you know. And it's the, actually the other way around and coming to see that it's the other way around and the value of that, especially uh, because we're going to go through those dark night, the dark night of the soul. Somebody came up with that phrase. Yeah, we're going to go through those times, right? But just remembering Weeping endures for a moment, right? God's favors for a lifetime. And you know that, especially as a Christian, you know that because why? why do you, how do you know that God's favor will outweigh, uh, chronologically outweigh and substantially outweigh your moments of weeping? How do you know? But even before that, it, has, it ends up there, but how do you know? How do you know? What is it? Yes. Yes, good answer. The Bible, Jesus, God. That works. It's good, Ben. But what in the Bible story, the true story, what is it that confirms to you that this is the case and you can bank on it? You can die with this in your mind and your heart because you know it's the case. The resurrection. That's how you know verse 5 is true. Your whole life may be filled with dark clouds. Your life now. But still, weeping only endures for a moment. God's favor is for life. Does that make sense? And that's how you know verse 5 is true. Because Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. It's a great song. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were out, we were out at Carnegie. They had streetlights all around the church building, so it was almost like there was no darkness, you know, in some ways, because we, light was coming through the windows. We're trying to sleep. We're all putting up things around our faces to keep from staying awake. But in some sense, you could really see the darkness. We were out looking at the, cl- at the stars. At one point, there was so little light pollution we were out in the back we all had our stargazer apps out this is by the way 
Where's Scott Levy? He sends out that picture. He's, he's going to send you a picture at some point. We're all out there with our phones. You say, look, here we are out in the wilderness, you know, and everybody's looking at their phone. We were looking at the Stargazer app. Because we can see a bazillion stars. And we're out there going, well, what's that one? Oh, that's Venus. Well, oh, there's Mars. And, you know, it was beautiful because the dark, you could, it was really there, right? But that's true. That sense is true. I, I always love that scene that comes to your eyeballs when you watch um, at Helm's Deep, right? And it's dark and you're fighting evil, right? And you're waiting for the, the dawning of the fifth day. And here's Legolas or whoever it was, looks up at the window and the sun's coming through. And they've been through this miserable darkness and fighting the orcs for all these days. And now hope is restored on the dawning of the fifth day. Now, and then sure enough, you walk out and there's Gandalf and blinds everybody. They're all blinding everybody because they're just... Anyways, it's great. But it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So look at verse 5, 4, and 5. Does this pattern make you think of anything or anyone else? What in the world is he talking about? How about this? His anger is but for a moment, but his favors and his favors for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Huh? Crucifixion? Yeah, yeah, there's the crucifixion. What else? It should be more. What'd you say, Janelle? And the resurrection. Right? The the crucifixion, weeping endures for night, but joy comes in the morning. When was Christ risen from the dead? First thing in the morning. Right? I mean, it should take you to the gospel. Right? It's a beautiful picture. All right, so uh, I know you can't read this. This is down at the very bottom of the slide. But how does this pattern toughen you? Verse 4 and 5, how does this pattern toughen, toughen you? It's probably not the best way to put it, but I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, God's habitual grace. Very, that's a good way to put it. Okay, yeah. And so we even sing things like this. So in um, How Firm a Foundation, which by the way is uh, six verses and... The writer of that is meditating on a large section out of Isaiah. Okay, so almost all of these are met metered verses of Scripture. But these two middle verses, uh, when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow should not overflow, for I will be with you your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The reality of that song drawing from Scripture is that we will walk through times when it will be um, experiencing, if you will, his anger is for a moment, but then his favor is for a lifetime. We will find ourselves weeping weeping in the night and then rising up uh, the with joy in the morning, okay? And I think that's important because Americans don't like that story. That's why Joel Osteen is a billionaire. Okay, I'm not mad at him. I'm just telling you. 
He's selling what we want to hear. And he's not the only one. Right? I grew up and cut my teeth on Robert Schuller and, and uh, uh, what's that? Norm Vincent Peel. Because it sells. We don't want to know we're going to go through dark times. We only want happy success day and day. We're all, we are all in our hearts, health and wealth gospel people. Every last loving one of us. And that's why that sells. But then the Bible comes in and says, the reality is different. We will all go through these moments where we'll have weeping in the night. But take heart. There'll be joy in the morning. How do you know? Because He's risen. He's risen indeed. This is God's habitual grace. This is normal. And I think that's important for us to tell people. For us to remember. Right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So here's a cheery thought. Just remember, every time you go see the doctor and they give you some miracle cure, it's only temporary. You just got to remember that. Right? And so we're all headed that way. But it's just good to know that's a moment. Joy comes in the morning. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. That should lift all of our hearts. Okay? Great. So then comes the dismal place. Now we get into a dark place, verses 6 through 10. Um, So David starts out, As for me, I said in my prosperity I shall never be moved. But, but your favor, O Yahweh, uh, by your favor, O Yahweh, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed, etc. It just continues to go down that road. So, um, so you can hear the shift in the psalm in the middle of that verse. Do you hear it? I mean, it's intentional. It's meant to catch your breath, right? It's meant to cause you to go, wait, what did you say? And to rethink what he just said. Here I was. In my prosperity, I'm saying, oh, my mountain will never be moved. You hid your face and I was dismayed. I mean, it's just meant to catch you, okay? And so as you think about what David begins verse 6 with, what is David doing in that first part of verse 6? Those first few words, what he says, but he says, as for me. What's he doing in those words? Sorry, Cindy? It is personal. becoming David focused here's where he's coming to confess a sin I think because he's becoming very David focused in fact the language is almost identical to Psalm 73 verse 1 and 2 God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart but as for me I almost lost my faith because I was envious of the prosperity of the wicked and then he starts chronicling how he tumbles down because he had changed his focus he looked at it on himself, right? And he looked at his situation. And I think that's what David is pointing out here. He did not, 
He did not uh, let God's habitual grace, if you want to call it that, change his focus. He became refocused on himself or became more focused upon himself in my prosperity, I said. And so at that moment when he got too... My dad used to say, son, you're getting too big for your britches. When he got too big for his britches, then all of a sudden, the end of verse 6, God pulls the rug out from under him. You hid your face. And I was dismayed. You see it there? All right. And so here we're at this dismal place. Uh, so where does this dismal place show up? Oh, I already showed it. We don't talk about that. So what's the relationship between verse 9 and verse 3? Notice as he's talking about this dismal place. To you, O Yahweh, I cry, and to, you, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit, uh, and keep, pay attention to verse 9 because we want to talk about this a little bit more. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. So what's the relationship between verse 9 and verse 3? Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Yes, that's very interesting. But that there's the connection. So in verse 3, you brought my life up out of Sheol, the place of the dead, and you restored my life from those who go down to the pit. And now here he is in his prayer in this dismal place. And he's saying, um, as he pleads for mercy, what profit is in my death uh, if I go down to the pit and dust, uh, will the dust praise you, etc. Okay, so there's this internal connection in this psalm. He keeps coming back around this. Yeah, he's talking about his own body decaying, right? So here's, so Steve, you're moving in this and so is Bob. Here's the next one. What is the prayer and praise logic of verses 8 through 10? You put all that together with verse 9 in the center. What's, his, what's, he, really, what's he doing? It sounds very selfish, but just think about it for a moment. Yes! This is why you created us, body and soul, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If I die, there'll be one less worshiper on earth. Right? I mean, it sounds fairly selfish, but his point is, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I want to do it. It doesn't preclude what happens after death and all that and eternity and all that, but it's the, that's, what he's, that's his logic. Okay, so when you're in the dark pit, your logic doesn't always sound very logical. You know what I'm saying? But there's a logic to it sometimes. Lord, what value is it if I die at this moment? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Susan's pointing out, as goes the king, so goes the people. So there's still that connection as well. Yes, John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think what Susan's pointing out there is a reminder as well that as goes the king, so goes the people. So what benefit will this be to your people if I die as well? I mean, there's there's some of that in the background, I think, as well. So, but you're right. I mean, so God pulls the rug out for him to, for his own good. So remember the shorter catechism. I, I love this line. It's the the explanation of the fifth commandment, and it's uh, it's the first commandment with a promise, as Paul puts it. And so the writers of the Shorter Catechism says that God wants us to have long life and prosperity, generally speaking, and then there's just parentheses, as long as it will serve for His glory and our good, in the parentheses. And that should always be in the back of our heads, even in our prayers, we're praying for someone. I don't know, I don't know if long life is really for their good all the time. And I don't know, it's for their glory. I pray all the time, Lord, if I'm going to be like that when I'm that age and I do stupid things or crazy things or whatever, just take me now. Because I don't want to dishearten any, I don't want to dishearten my children. I don't want to dishearten other believers. And sometimes things happen, right? And so it's like, okay, I really don't need to live a long life because I'm going to live forever anyways with you, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So that... As long as it serves for God's glory and our good. I think that's what keeps us out of the health and wealth gospel trap. We keep that in mind. Okay. So that's David's logic. Oh, wonderful. That's David's logic. His his prayer and praise logic is, if you take me now, there's one less worshiper. You know, in a sense, but this is what I'm for. Right? And so just remembering that that's what we're for is really important. That actually answers some anthropological questions going on in our day now. What are we for? We're really for glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Not gratifying my libido in this moment. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Oh, anything else on verses uh, 6, uh, 6 through 10? All right, verses... Uh, 11 through 12, dancing praise. Yes, David was a good Presbyterian. He danced. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. So which direction do verses 11 and 12 head toward? When you look at, now you're back to verse 11 and 12. You're at verse 11 and 12. Which direction do they head toward? You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. Why would you wear sackcloth? What sackcloth? What was that used to be worn for? Mourning, Right. Or repentance even, yeah. And clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing. We'll talk about that statement in a minute. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Okay? So on one side, by the way, one side is, oh, good, you restored your worshiper and I will do what my duty, my calling in life is to be your worshiper. That's verse 11 and 12. Okay? Right? So uh, that's so. What direction is are these two verses headed now? Yeah, it's upward, right? So it's like that jig. Remember, up, down, up, right? So now we're back, kind of moving back upward. Okay. So think of Isaiah sixty-one verses one through four. All this language about dress, about uh, you've loosed my sackcloth and uh, clothed me with gladness and so forth. In Psalm in Isaiah sixty-one. Verses 1 through 4, you have a similar picture. The Spirit of, Yah- of the Lord Yahweh is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
Uh, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who is that referring to? Jesus, right? Jesus even quotes it uh, in uh, Luke chapter 4, right? So this is about Jesus, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. And this is what Jesus' work, His whole mission will do, to grant those who mourn, uh, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall, be, they shall, uh, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up, uh, raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the de- devastations of many generations. Anyways, so that taking off the sackcloth and putting on the, the garments of praise it fits in to the same structure that you see going on Isaiah 61 which is definitely about Jesus and what he will accomplish and so again we're back to Jesus when you look at verse 11 and 12 a little bit there so what might David mean by that my glory may sing your praise it's really and it's the Hebrew word kavod it's really an interesting statement that my glory that my glory may sing your praise Yeah, yeah, great. Could be. Anybody else? Others? Yeah, it's not the Hebrew word nefesh, soul. It's actually kavod. So the translators struggle with what this is doing here. You know, what does this actually refer to? If you look in the ESV footnote, I think it says something else. What does it say down there? Um... Yeah, I don't see it. Okay, sorry. It's not down there. It should be. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be even that he's talking about himself as king, that the glory of his kingship would sing his praise, right? The problem, the funny thing is, is that that same statement is said again, is brought up again in, in Psalm 57, verses 7 through 10. Let me read that to you. Psalm 57, 7 through 10. So I'll, I'll give you my non-dogmatic opinion in a minute. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above over all the earth. It's interesting there in Isaiah, in Psalm 57. Psalm 57, he says, awake my glory. And then he talks about harp and lyre. And then he says, I will awaken the dawn. Glory may be nothing more. Kavod may be nothing more than him saying... Um, talking about his whole being and every essence you can imagine, which is interesting that he would call it glory, right? I don't want to be anachronistic, but that actually fits in very well with the New Testament. Yes. Yeah, that's what Bob was saying. 
Yeah, but it's not nefesh in the Hebrew. It's actually kavod, glory, which is... So it may be that that's exactly how he's describing his whole being, right? That's what it looks like. This is my non-dogmatic opinion. It looks like he's talking about his whole humanity, that it's glory, which actually fits in when you realize what we're created for and where we're headed. Does that make sense? Oh, wow. That's really cool. So anyways, that's it. I just wanted to point that out to you because somebody's going to bound to ask me that question, so I thought I would be preemptive. There you go. Yeah. Or my whole, yeah, my whole being, my whole essence, all that I am. Could be. Yep. 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 If David was Agamemnon, he would have been using that my glory as in my fame. Just go read the Iliad, right? That's all the Greeks ever lived for at that point. Because they had no concept of life after death. It was all my fame at this moment. So it's possible he might have actually been thinking that. Yeah, great. Yeah, right. And so that, I mean, that just, I mean, we can go down this rabbit trail. If that's what we're really for and that's what we're doing, then you understand then why sin and a life where you've turned your back against God is really sin. You've said, I don't want to reflect God's glory. Oh, that sounds like Genesis 3. Oh, I think that's exact. I think that's the, that's the direction that David is going with here. All right, so here's the next one. So the constant theme in this psalm, as I said earlier, from the beginning, verses 1 through 3, and the middle, verse 5, and the end, verse 11 and 12, has remained consistent. It's this jig, but it's always about how God is the one who rescues us. God is the one who doesn't give us over to the, our foes rejoicing. He's the one who restores our life. He's the one who gives us life so that we don't, taken down to the pit uh, with those who go to the pit. Um, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and so on. That theme keeps coming back. It is consistent all through this song. Okay? Ah, so some concluding questions. Anybody have anything on verse 11 to 12? Let me get to some concluding questions if you don't. Alright, concluding questions. What season in the year would Psalm 30 be an excellent time to recite it? And reflect on. Easter. Give her a gold star, huh? Advent. Give her a gold star. Any season. But I do think Easter, Easter came to mind so often as we were reading verse 5. When we were talking about the resurrection, it would make a very fitting time, a psalm to use at Easter. So as you're thinking about family devotions even, when you get to Easter, maybe Psalm 30 is a place to go. Yeah, any time, in a, any season in a hard time, which, you know, is tomorrow, you know. Yeah, very good. But I want you to be thinking that way. These psalms are written for us to use, to pray, to pray together, to sing, to, to meditate on, and to add to our vocabulary, okay? And so I want you to be thinking this way as we go through all the psalms. What season would this be? fitting time to use and, and then um, there you go 
So how does Psalm 30 replicate the general rhythm of the Christian life? Right, the ups and the downs. Right, and I think that's important for us to keep hold of because, you know, we often, when we get into the down, we say, why did God do this to me? Like it's a shock, you know? But no, this is the normal, ordinary rhythm of the Christian life. There are highs and lows. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. But she wants to. I feel the potential coming. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, so describe various ways Psalm 30 can lift the hearts of someone going through dark seasons of life. You have an, op- an opportunity to sit down with someone who's having a dark season of life. How could you use Psalm 30? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Excellent. Very good. Good job, Ben. Yeah, I mean, you can sit down and just say, let's read this and pray this together. Right? I just, it's a great psalm using any of those moments. All right, any questions? Anything you want to say about Psalm 30? Profound, amazing statements that I missed? Anything? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Anybody else? And that should be how you end with Psalm 30, as it gives us hope. All right, well, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we come to you rejoicing in David's testimony here in Psalm 30. You're the one who has brought us up from Sheol. You've restored our life from those who go down to the pit. And we can say, we can say because this is your habit. We can say because this is how your mercy and your steadfast love often show up and work out. That yes, your anger is but for a moment, but your favor is for a lifetime. You're weeping tarries for a night, our weeping may tarry for the night, but your joy comes with the morning. Lord, for that we are grateful. Help us to always have our hearts lifted up looking to you and trusting you. We ask you now, Lord, to be with us as we go into the great assembly and that our hearts really would be drawn to you this very day. In Jesus' name, amen.